0: Welcome to this uh, keynote debate, Can We Manufacture a New UK Economy? We'd very much like to thank our session partners for this debate, Jaguar Land Rover, and our media partners, International Business Times. After the deepest and longest recession in decades, in July it was announced that the UK economy had returned to its pre-crisis level. Uh, while there's been 11 successive quarters of growth, it will be hard to argue that we're in the midst of a boom. What has largely been absent in all the discussion, uh, has been uh, any long-term vision for a growing productive economy, so a, a way in which would transform what, how the UK does business, as it were. Now, this session is a little bit different because um, to our others in that we're giving one of our speakers a bit more s- space to offer a vision. Um, that speaker's Mike Wright, on my far left, who's executive director at Jaguar Land Rover not one but two of the most famous names in British manufacturing. (laughs) Mike has been working in the automotive industry for 40 years with a wide variety of experience both both under different ownerships, both British and foreign, and in different countries including four years working in Germany. And he's also the author of an independent review uh, published last year, casually titled The Right Review, about how we can move forward with advanced manufacturing in the UK. Once Mike has spoken, which will be for about 15 minutes, we'll then have a, a, a an esteemed panel of economic experts, to respond to his comments, who I'll introduce briefly now before Mike gets going. So, Francis Coppola, uh, on my far right, is associate editor of P.E.A.R.EA, a -A, a contributor to Nesta's Our Work Here Is Done, exploring the frontiers of robot technology. Katie Evans, on my near left, is an economist with the Social Market Foundation. Her research interests include financial services, the UK's long-term growth strategy, and the impact of technology and network capabilities on the economy. On my near right is uh, Phil Mullen, he's an economist, business manager, commentator, and author. He's cur- c- currently completing his latest book, Getting Back Our Mojo, which is pretty much precisely on the theme of today's debate, uh, how do we revive the economy? And then, finally, Bauke Schramm is a business reporter for the International Business Times UK. Originally from the Netherlands, Bauke has a strong inter- interest in international relations, transnational organisations, and the relationship between governments and major financial institutions. So... And without too much further ado, uh, Mike. Thanks very much, Rob, and uh, good afternoon, everybody. It's
1: always very stimulating to uh, come to the battle of ideas. I've I've done a couple now in in the past couple of years. And uh, having the opportunity to talk with so many people from various walks of life about uh, our business, and particularly the advanced manufacturing sector, is something that uh, I particularly welcome. So once again, uh, thank you very much for the invitation to come along and speak. Um, I did think about whether I could sort of extend the manufacturer metaphor and go into the broader economics, but I think um, actually there's so much to talk about in my sector, particularly the automotive sector, in terms of uh, responding to the future, that I'm just going to focus uh, on that, if I may, and talk about um, the resurgence in UK advanced manufacturing and, in particular, how my company uh, has contributed to that and what we're thinking about in the future. And I'm going to talk about... Well, you could say it's a new economic model for this country that puts advanced manufacturing at its very centre. But, of course, it's not really a brand-new model because this country, if you go back to the Industrial Revolution, uh, was, was the inventors of developing an advanced manufacturing economy. The question is, uh, you know, we did actually forget how to do it for a period of time, and do we have it in our DNA to re- redevelop and re-energise our activities in the sector? And uh, in, in talking about the sector, I'm, I, I don't want to be critical of other sectors, um, but I do think that when you emphasize one particular sector, and there's an argument to say, you know, back in the uh, noughties and the 1990s, there was a, a focus on the services sector and the financial services sector. It did leave us a little uh, exposed when the uh, crash of uh, the calamitous crash of 2008 came along. So maybe we spent Uh, too much time making up things rather than making things. So um, let me start by saying that you can't have a long-term successful economy without a successful advanced manufacturing sector. That's my premise. Um, China, America, Japan, Germany, South Korea... And many other emerging countries know that, and they've stuck to it in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and maybe we we lost a little bit of our direction. And I think that government and other important opinion formers and decision-makers are now beginning to get it, and I think more and more schools and universities do as well. Making things, engineering things, designing things, inventing things, it all matters whether it's a bridge... A ship, a building, a computer, a plane, or indeed a a car. And the good news is that I do think that we're on the cusp of a transformation in British advanced manufacturing. We're not there yet. We've a long way to go, and there are still occasionally worrying setbacks, but we're moving broadly in the right direction. So what do I mean by advanced manufacturing? This is not mere assembly making something that someone else in some other country has designed, developed, and engineered. Nor is is it uh, commodity manufacturing, making high-volume products. That sort of manufacturing can indeed boost jobs and inject capital, and is a welcome part of the economy, but this sort of manufacturing is exposed to uh, going to low-wage countries and may not be sustainable. Rather, we want to win at high-value or advanced manufacturing This is distinguished by its intensive use of knowledge and research, of design and development. It involves a a cycle starting with ideas. It includes processes of production and assembly, and includes the servicing, modification, and recycling of complex manufactured goods. So this high-value chain business, both for employees and for national wealth, and it requires a well-educated, highly-skilled workforce and offers good, well-paid jobs. Advanced manufacturing is a key strategic sector for the UK and it will become more and more important. Although it currently accounts for about 5% of our GDP, interestingly, it represents 30% of our total exports and 72% of our total business research and development. And these numbers are growing strongly. And crucially as well, advanced manufacturing is by and large based outside of London and the South East. So it plays a crucial role in rebalancing the UK economy across the whole country. At many forms of advanced manufacturing, the UK already excels. Uh, We're as strong as a nation in the automotive sector. Uh, We are, after Germany, the biggest producer of premium cars. And I've cited my own company, Jaguar Land Rover, in the past five years, thanks to the vision of uh, Mr Tata and the leadership of our CEO, uh, Dr Al Spate. We've tripled turnover, doubled our workforce, created 18,000 new jobs directly in the UK, and many more in our supply chains. And our our sales have more than doubled in those five years, and we've recently become Europe's fastest-growing car company and the world's fastest premium car maker. Another example of British prowess is Formula One, at the absolute cutting edge of automotive technology. If you start at Woking in Surrey, go up to Oxfordshire, broadly along the M40, there is a high technology corridor with every major Formula One team apart apart from Ferrari is based. Jaguar Land Rover's domain begins where the Formula One teams end. So, in fact, there is a high-tech automotive corridor all the way up the M40 from McLaren in Woking uh, to Jaguar Land Rover in Birmingham. And it's, uh, take aircraft engines If you start at, uh, uh, and aerospace if you start at uh, Farnborough and go down the M3 broadly to, the, to Bristol and the southwest, a huge aerospace sector. And the life sciences is developing uh, in Cambridge and other areas. Our world-leading universities offering some of the best science and research in the world, and incidentally, Jaguar Land Rover has close relationships with many of them, including Warwick, Oxford, Cambridge and UCL. So as a nation, we excel in many areas. And to make that sustainable and to manufacture a new economy, we need the right long-term policies and infrastructure and the right industrial and academic support. As Rob mentioned, uh, last year I wrote The Right Review on advanced manufacturing in the UK and its supply chain, and the aim was to come up with ideas and policies to make the UK more globally competitive in this sector. And it's on the subject of global competitiveness that I'd like to focus. If the UK's advanced manufacturing is not internationally competitive, then we have no future, at least not a prosperous one. Despite what some politicians and policy makers may think, the overall level of advanced manufacturing in the UK is not a result of government mandate or wishful thinking. It is the result of specific investment decisions taken by companies around the world. Every time we attract investment from major multinationals, we do it by competing with other countries. And those decisions are based on a combination of factors. They include access to skills and other resources, the environment for innovation, proximity and access to key markets, access to capital and funding, and very importantly, the full range of costs that are faced by firms. So the government fundamentally affects all of these investment factors and it must act strategically and proactively and in a coordinated manner to optimise the environment for corporate investment. The government is a crucial partner in this process, another lesson we forgot a few decades ago. Another thing, policy statements from governments, tone, language and other signals, are important to potential overseas investors in this country and are actively listened to by all major companies. So it is the long-term policy stability, and this in turn requires cross-party consensus so we don't lurch from one disruptive policy to another. This is one of the things that we have began to get right over the past decade or so, where a change of government or minister doesn't necessarily lead to a change of policy. As Rob said, my whole working career has been spent in the UK-based automotive sector, working under various different nationalities of ownership, And my first overseas assignment in the late 80s was uh, in Germany. And through subsequent roles, I've been involved with over 50 countries throughout the world. And it's the speed that I've witnessed firsthand of which these economies around the world over the last two or three decades have transformed their advanced manufacturing capabilities by massive efforts to improve their investment environment, upgrading their infrastructures and boosting the skills of their workforce, Prioritising science research and establishing well-embedded links between academia and industry. As well as offering very bespoke packages to attract uh, overseas investments. And we're still behind many of our rival nations in these important areas. But we've made a start, as I said. We also need to focus on the needs of the small and medium-sized manufacturing businesses. Large companies like ours can act as a magnet to develop small and medium uh, manufacturers and and businesses in the supply chain. And the big difference is, of course, they don't have the resources to absorb the costs of complex processes, complex taxation, complex legislation, and dealing with public agencies compared with bigger companies like our own. So we've got to find a way of freeing up their competitiveness because those small and medium enterprises, although they may only deal within the UK, are competing with equivalent types of businesses around the world. Investment in our new factories or in new cars clearly has a huge benefic- beneficial effect on these suppliers. And for example, our £1.6 billion investment in new lightweight aluminium vehicles... Uh, created more than 2,000 jobs at Jaguar and Land Rover. But for every one of these jobs, four extra were created in our supply chain. And these vehicles are now 55% sourced from our UK supply base. So 50% of this job creation will be from uh, SMEs, thousands of smaller companies that are crucial to our success, as well as many other car makers. The trend is positive here, UK component sourcing in the car industry has increased from 36% in 2011 to 41% this year, according to a Biz biz, uh, report. And grants have been available to support the advanced manufacturing supply chain investment. Uh, That's the good news, but we do need to recognize that we face some challenges. Uh, Many of the supply chain companies in, in markets like Germany uh, a company like Bosch are actually bigger than jaguar Land Rover but they 're seen as a supply chain company so they have bigger research budgets bigger development budgets that they can work with and maintain their international competitiveness and it 's the same for co- uh, other co- companies in America Japan and the far east so to and to be able to compete globally, we also desperately need more skilled engineers from the uk education system and this is a challenge for us but it's even more of a problem for our small to medium-sized suppliers who struggle to hire engineers of the right caliber and that limits their capacity to innovate to grow and develop their business and become more globally competitive Um, at jaguar land rover we try and do our bit for example last september we took on 600 graduates and apprentices And over the past five years, we've recruited over 2,500 newly qualified graduates and apprentices. We've set up a a new Jaguar Land Rover Academy uh, on the University of Warwick, a first in the the UK industry. And we've invested uh, 100 million pounds in a new um, National Automotive Innovation Centre, again at Warwick, uh, to help develop innovation capability uh, with the youngsters. And uh, we're determined uh, to open up our business to schools and we have, uh, last year we had over 300,000 UK school children uh, going through our educational programs at our our six sites across the UK. So, um, new skills we are nurturing are essential because advanced manufacturing is changing faster than at any time uh, in, in its history. What about the future, though, in terms of capability? Now, everybody's talking about um, autonomous cars. Who would have thought just ten years ago that we were on the verge of launching cars that can drive themselves? In just a few years, your car will be able to drive you hands-free on the motorway. In fact, the technology for this already exists. It's the legal challenges that need sorting and a few years further on your car will likely to be able to drive you autonomously anywhere amazing stuff uh, if you if you want it that is such astonishing technology needs the very best minds with the very best training for britain to be a global leader in that capability now we're proud we're a proud british car maker and the vast majority of our research and development and production is done here in britain But we're also increasingly global and naturally we turn overseas for certain skills. And the fact of the matter is that we've had to open up a uh, a small R&D centre in Portland, Oregon to access the world-class software skills that are needed to feed back into the autonomous driving strategies that we're developing. And R&D spending here in the UK, it's well known, runs at approximately 1.6% of GDP compared with the OECD average average of 2.3%, and with the markets like the US, Germany, and Sweden, Japan all investing significantly more. So as the uh, UK is the bottom of that research uh, investment uh, ladder. And there's the whole issue about our finance system uh, and, uh, and financial services uh, being prepared to invest in those small and medium enterprises I talked about earlier. If you're in the advanced manufacturing sector, the turnaround in a project is not going to be um, quick in terms of months. It's probably going to take uh, some years. And against other markets like Germany, France, Italy or Finland, uh, we don't appear to have found a financing system that rewards those small and medium enterprises in terms of their investment in future technologies. If I may return finally to the right view and emphasise a few findings that have become even more important over this past year. The first is that we as a country must understand and appreciate that advanced manufacturing is of, of vital national strategic importance, crucial for a balanced and sustainable economy. Otherwise we will become dependent on other countries many unpredictable events since i published my report ago have happened uh, a year ago have happened the changing uk political you know, when i wrote the report i had no idea that the uh, political landscape would be what it is today possible brexit and now possible brexit what's going on in syria the ukraine russian embargoes the weakening chinese economy the strengthening of the pound versus the euro these are all issues that a business has to face Uh, and we we can't predict all of them. So you need a clear, long-term strategy and thinking that actually has the wherewithal to withstand all of these external pressures, some of which we can predict, some of which we can't. A thriving, advanced manufacturing sector is critical to our balance of trade. It delivers research and development, it self-generates through innovation and invention, and it offers well-paid, high-value jobs. And it's also central to meeting many of the biggest and most challenges we face as a society, including carbon reduction and environmental sustainability. Now, I'd like the UK to be at the forefront of this technology, and I believe we can. My company, if I may say so myself, is one of the best examples of recent UK advanced manufacturing success through sustainable, considered investment year in, year out in new product development and research and development. And it's at the very heart of what we do. It's essential for the future for long-term sales and financial success. And those global car makers that succeed will be those that innovate most successfully. We are now the UK's biggest investor in the manufacturing sector in research and development. In the past six years, We've tripled our research and development budget and more than doubled the number of our engineers. We're a world leader in the advanced lightweight aluminium construction techniques that gives advantages in terms of fuel economy, emissions, agility, performance, durability and recyclability. Our latest information system fitted to the new Jaguar F-Pace and Jaguar XF is the world's most advanced car connectivity system it's an important step on the journey to the totally connected car where the car is in effect an extension of your smartphone, a car that always allows you to communicate with the outside world, which always automatically stays in touch with the traffic, always communicating with the broad, broader road infrastructure. Some of you may have seen our prototype remote-control Range Rover demonstrated on the BBC News, a car that can be steered and stopped by an iPhone by the driver standing outside the car. And we'll also see gesture control cars, X-ray vision, to enable drivers to see through the cars to get better visibility. And we will have smart cars and smart cities, as well as, me- as, me- as mega cities and carbon-neutral cities, And we've got to have products that meet those challenges, amazing challenges uh, ahead. The industrial revolution invented here in Britain never really ended. It merely slowed down as far as our emphasis, but it's getting faster and faster. Technology gets more astonishing. The world is getting more competitive. And those countries and companies that innovate most successfully will win and will offer the best jobs for their people. And that is why my submission is that the advanced nations of the world compete hard for the best advanced manufacturing jobs and why I'm so passionate that Britain succeeds in that field. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you very much, Mike. We now have a chance for people to respond to that. It could be about how we achieve what Mike w- was talking about, how, how big a role is there for governments in, in all of this, or maybe even questioning whether advanced manufacturing is uh, so, as important as Mike says. So lots and lots of potential areas for this debate to go down. So can I ask Frances to offer your first thoughts?
2: Right. I hear a lot about this. Um, What we need to do is rebalance our economy away from services and towards manufacturing. We need to make more stuff. We need to encourage children in schools to concentrate on STEM. We need more engineers from university. Um, We need to sideline the creative arts, particularly, um, in order to divert people into engineering. I don't believe it. I really don't believe it and I have another number of reasons for that. Um, The first is that, realistically, um, much manufacturing in the future is not going to take people. It's going to be automated. The number of people who are going to work in manufacturing is already diminishing. Um, It will continue to diminish catastrophically, and with the best will in the world, although um, we need the finest minds to be the top engineers in these countries, we do not need the numbers of people working in manufacturing that we have needed in the past, and certainly not the sort of major source of employment that it was during the Industrial Revolution. So rebalancing our economy towards manufacturing may indeed give us greater international presence. Would it generate the employment that we need? I question it. And I worry that by attempting to divert too many resources towards developing skills and um, uh, uh, um, aspirations for young people in the manufacturing sector, that we're actually denying the opportunity to develop their skills in other areas. The fact is that Britain is a world leader in the creative arts, in the performing arts, and yet I see people saying that's not important. I work in schools where children with talent are diverted away from the creative and performing arts in order to focus upon maths and science, and that happens whether or not their interests and their talents actually really lie in that direction. So though I (coughs) broadly support the point that we do need more skilled engineers, there is a world shortage of of skilled engineers, I seriously question whether, um, whether trying to push more children in that direction necessarily meets that needs. It's quality that we need. In engineering, as in everything else, and that means enabling children to actually study the subjects and move in with a view to moving into the jobs in the future that will most suit their talents rather than trying to create, um, to force them into a particular mould because we see a particular sector as needing more.
0: Okay. Okay. Thank you, Francis. Uh, Katie.
3: I'm going to disagree. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm going to disagree. As an economist, I can't say I have a particular preference for any sector. What I like is efficiency. Um, I like making sure we're making the best possible use of our resources. And I think it's hard to deny that the UK has fantastic universities. We punch well above our weight in international rankings. We come up with loads of original research. And one of the things we're not very good at is picking up that research and making it into products. So I think a focus on how we can unlock some of that resource to make better use of it is a very worthwhile debate to have. Um, In terms of the public policy questions on this, for me, you can almost take this back to economic fundamentals. So when you you first start studying economics, you talk about inputs to production as land and labour. And I think actually these are almost where we need the two big public policy pushes. Francis is absolutely right that the UK has fantastic creative skills and we need to be using those in advanced manufacturing which is increasingly going to be about designing the right things. In the past we used mass production because that was the best way of getting the most people the most goods. That was how we use resource efficiently. That's not going to be the case in the future. With technologies like 3D printing, we're going to be manufacturing to specification for individuals. And the UK's creativity is going to be really important in making sure we're getting the right products made. We need to make sure we're encouraging those skills. When we talk about land, I walked the Dales Way, which is a path that goes from Yorkshire over to Windermere in the Lake District, a couple of weeks ago. And I hope from that you can tell that I'm not the sort that's going to tell us to concrete our front gardens just yet. But... What it did tell me is something about how the use of land in Britain is a very distinctive thing about this country. I think when we think of Britain, we think of the green and pleasant lands in Jerusalem more often than we think of the dark satanic mills. And I would argue that both of those are critical to Britain's economic character. When you walk this path, you see viaducts, you see chimneys, you see old mines and their spoil piles, it tells you that Britain's an industrial country, and that has shaped our landscape. Today, I fear that we are too nervous of making those ambitious infrastructure statements. I can't see us building beautiful viaducts like the one at Ribble's Head anymore. And I think we need to be brave enough to do that, to make those investments, even where they do sometimes change the character of our country, to keep us moving forwards.
0: Okay. Phil. Thanks.
4: Mike, no doubt, will answer for himself. (laughs) I'm sure he'll come in quite a lot in the discussion, but I don't think, Francis, that that Mike was saying that uh, the only thing you need to have a prosperous economy is an advanced automotive industry. Um, I think what he was doing, or what I find very useful, was the extent to which you can point to a particular sector, um, which I would, though, question, Mike, I don't think is representative or symptomatic of what's going on in the rest of the economy. I think JLR, you said, is January Land Rover is one of the best engineering companies in the world, I, uh, certainly in the country and probably in the world, I would agree with you. And it's precisely the exceptionalness of JLR, which I think is the thing that we should talk about. Why is it that there are not 100 JLRs? And not just in automotives and not just in aerospace. Um, and in that sense, I, I think it's more a matter of saying, how do you not just sustain an advanced automotive industry, but how do you create an economy which has got advanced uh aerospace industry, advanced construction industry, advanced energy industry, advanced transportation industry, advanced uh, uh, services of all types of industries. The point is that it's, it's, it's the creation across the, uh, across the blend, um, and I think we should try and you know, get away from this uh, manufacturing versus services, I think, artificial division. I think we need um, a, a future orientated economy. Now, what Mike has, think, in his report and what he said today is very clearly focused on is that why JLR is successful is because of the investment that it's put in. Very simply, investment put in by Ford, I think it was about 10 billion before, about 10 billion, I think, before they ran out of money and, and sold it off to Tata. Tata, since, has put in billions more. JLR stands out as being a very automated, high-tech Uh, manufacturing system. I believe in in your Solihull uh, Jaguar plant, I think there's something like 700 robots. I think it's, you know, pretty much completely automated factory. That is exceptional. That's not the norm in the British economy. The British economy is not, I think, on the cusp of a transformation. I mean, maybe your sector is, but certainly the economy isn't, because everything I see around us is that the economy is is flatlining. Uh, You know, we saw again this week, Office for National Statistics put out a uh, Its latest figures on employment. Now, we're all being told by Osborne and others more people in jobs than ever, but for a modern, you know, advanced economy, um, the reality is that the ONS says that a quarter of the working population um, are getting less than the living wage. Six million people are getting less than the living wage. Look at their figures. About another Forty percent of the population aren't getting much more than the national living wage, which is, we know, is not a lot to go to live on. The reality is, the last ten years, the average living standards of people have been in decline. Right, household incomes have been pretty much flat since 2007. Average take-home pay across the board—I, not representative of the engineers and others that you've got working in JLR—has been going, uh, has been flatlining or going downwards. So clearly, we don't have a healthy economy, uh, generally on the cusp of transformation. So the question is, why are other sectors? not doing the same sort of investments that have been done by JLR, so that's the question. What is it, what are the barriers there? And I would just end with, with, with one, because I think uh, 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 perhaps we could look at the, the broader context in which, in which this is happening, but it seems to me that the problems are, to some extent, less economic than they are political. I think as a society, and perhaps it fits in with some of what Katie was uh, 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 referring to, as a society we've become, I think, very uncomfortable with change. And if we're going to have an advanced economy, not just in automotives but across the board, then we're going to have to have a lot of change going on. And yet the political class that we have is very reluctant to push for change. In fact, I'd say the political class is responsible for that antipathy to change which exists in society today. And their activities, whatever they talk about in terms of industrial plans or productivity plans or infrastructure plans and so on, the reality is that the political elite of both, all parties, has been uh, engage in basically just trying to preserve the status quo. Not in making change, but trying to hold things back. And I think that cultural reticence to engage in those ambitious projects is the thing that we have to overcome if we're going to have not just half a dozen JLRs, but we're going to need 100, 150 JLRs if we're going to be able to get those low-wage earners at the moment into not jobs, but into decent, paying, high-value, high-productive jobs.
5: I think it's interesting to pick up Uh, bits and pieces from everyone that's spoken so far. I think in terms of, um, like Phil mentioned, is there really a discussion between um, are we talking about services or manufacturing? Um, The last couple of decades, we have tailored the environment in the UK towards a services uh, economy, a services-based economy, whether you agree with that or not. That's, that's the case. I think going back to, to basing our economy on manufacturing a lot wouldn't be wise. I do think we need, and in that sense, I really agree with Mike, advanced manufacturing rather than semi-manufacturing or, um, or, or otherwise. We need that, I think, more or less as a safety net. Um, yes, with the crash, we saw that we couldn't really, really build on the services economy. However, we see other economies now not entirely basing on the manufacturing. Um, so I think in terms of what we're going to do in the future is play in our strengths. We should focus on that services economy and focus on that advanced manufacturing economy but use that maybe as a safety net rather than taking over uh, the bigger part of, of that landscape. Um, and in that sense you have to focus on long term as well. Make it sustainable, uh, flexible, high return, which is why those, um, those advanced manufacturers, high tech, are very, very useful. Um, Because otherwise I think it is really hard to to compete with other economies that are just able, uh, maybe not always for the right reasons, but that are able to keep those overhead and cost per product just a lot lower. Um, And that's what we see for example in the the news recently with with Redcar, um, Tata Steel cutting jobs, that is because we are suffering from cheaper economies, and I spoke to an analyst this week who said there will always be a cheaper economy. There will always be a competitor that will be able to, to do it cheaper, um, which means that even if we advance and move to, to other products, you know, there will be emerging markets in other parts of the world that might overtake us there. So let's focus on our strengths, which is a highly developed advanced manufacturing as a safety net, but maybe except that we should now base our economy on that services and information sector.
0: Okay, so I'm going to give Mike a chance to respond to some of the points that have been made and then I'm going to come out to you for your questions and comments. And please do feel free to to make comments, not just ask questions. Mike. Thank you, Rob. Um, Well, the first
1: thing, if I gave the impression that I was saying that the advanced manufacturing sector should take over all sectors, um, that, that was not my intent, far from it. Um, and, Francis, I, I, I do agree that the creative industries are equally important. And there's a very, very um, sound reason for that. Uh, as I think Phil said, you know, we have to design great products. And our designers come through the creative process. So, both of our uh, uh, lead designers on Jaguar and Anna, you know, Ian Callum and uh, Jerry McGovern, went through design schools. You know, they've come up the creative process. And their teams, we source great designers from, from, from uh, the Royal Academy of Arts and, and, and uh, other, other um, uh, institutions like it. So we do need a balanced sector. Really, what I was putting forward was, is it right for a mature advanced economy that only a, a, a 20th of the GDP comes from the sector? That's the point I was making. I don't, I don't think it should be 95%. It needs to be balanced. Um, To the point about um, uh, high-tech assembly, uh, again, I think this whole issue about robotics and what the future way of designing and engineering and making things um, is absolutely something that we feel... I mean, we have robotic activity now working on how people work on the assembly line to actually put things together. So we're not in any way decrying uh, new technologies, be they robotics. And yes, there will be some challenges in terms of of workforce balance. But at the end of the the day, our submission is that we need to to compete globally to match the capabilities and the competence of other countries that seem to think that this area, and I'm not just talking now about automotive, aerospace, I think, Phil, you listed them all out, they're all equally Mm. valid. We need the capability and the competence to compete with them. And my final point before we open it up, I think um, uh, the economic argument uh, that Katie made, uh, it is, and others touched on, um, just be really clear, this is not about backing winners or having an economic priority of one sector over the other. But it is about creating an environment where companies who wish to compete in this sector globally they have to compete globally because frankly the UK market is too small to get a return on high quality uh, high investment on high value products the revenue just isn't there so you have to export you have to compete globally our, our, our view and, and what I said in the right review is we have to have a, an environment which allows those companies should they wish to compete on an equal footing with the rest of the world that's
6: really all we're saying So those would be my three responses.
0: Okay, so anyone who wants to comment?
6: I I did some work with WMG and Jaguar Land Rover about 10 years ago when it was in the pits of uh, its uh, horrors. and The engineer I worked with used to say, every day we open the gates, we lose $1 million. I'm not sure if that was the case, but it's quite a lot of money. Anyway, my main point was, going back to that period, the automotive industry in general, I seem to remember the big problem was overcapacity. And I don't rem- I'm not sure if that has actually still been fully resolved. And the other thing I remember was that, I mean, there was lots of talk between manufacturing and the financial world, but I seem to remember that the, the, motor, in- the motor industry, particularly Ford and GM, were heavily, basically, financialized insofar as they were essentially acting as banks um, lending their customers money. To actually uh, buy their, their wares, um, which never struck me as necessarily a good thing. But I just wondered: uh, has that changed so much now? That are they still acting effectively like banks as well as manufacturers?
3: Hi. Um, I just wanted to know where the panel stood on this debate of competitiveness versus productivity. And economists sort of put different values on, on each of them. So Britain is a very competitive global economy. But our productivity doesn't have seem to have moved much in the last 20 years or so. And actually, the latter part is key to our living standards. Um, and when it comes to things like industrial policy and public policy, where would you guys think that we need to maybe skew um, sort of our policy orientation to making Britain more productive? So the French are probably more productive than us and they're less competitive on a global stage, but when it comes to prosper- prosperity for a domestic economy, it's the latter bit that we should be worried about a bit more than um, just you know being very hyper-competitive on a global stage.
7: I would disagree with Katie that the crucial issue is land and labour. Rather, I would put emphasis on the other two factors of production, namely technology and capital. Um, Mark described a number of very interesting and fascinating innovations in the automotive sector. Um, and in general, looking at the global economy today, I am a technological optimist. Nevertheless, I think this is all moot. If you don't have non-financial corporations that are willing to engage in serious capital spending and embody those technological innovations in capital. Um, As part of my day job, I'm an economist in the city, I spend a lot of time looking at the Japanese economy. and I think that's really paradigmatic if you look at what's going on in the manufacturing sector there. This is one of the most innovative and efficient manufacturing sectors in the world, global leaders in, in industrial robotics and all kinds of other advanced manufacturing technologies. And yet, Japanese corporations, manufacturing corporations are just sitting on piles of cash that they're not doing anything with, they're doing share buybacks rather than investing in capital. So I would say that any public policy focus really needs to be on capital spending, whether it's looking at financial sector reform, tax reform, um, demand management policy more broadly. Just in light of the immigration crisis, I've got a question. Do you think that as an economy or like as economists, you can use the crisis and essentially turn it into an opportunity for British economic growth without exploiting all the immigrants, like supporting them rather than exploiting them? And secondly, your car company, oh, sorry, this is directed to Mike, um, how much emphasis are you putting on becoming environmentally more sustainable? Because you've talked a lot about research and making it so that drivers can, you know, essentially have access to x-ray I don't know, opportunities, like, they can see through their cars, but why, you know, emphasising more on how to, say, get away from the use of fossil fuels?
8: Firstly, I just want to just illustrate uh, Phil's point about the uh, the, the lack of, um, or the need for more Jaguar Land Rovers in other sectors. And I think the comparison I'd like to make is with the housing, house-building sector. Because <laughs> so if you compare the last, say, like 40 years ago, uh, the difference between a car 40 years ago to a car... Today, compared to a house built 40 years ago, to a house built today, well, cars now are bigger. You know, I think we'd all agree they're better, full of innovation, technology, and and we want them, don't we? We want. And look at modern houses compared to 40 years ago. They're smaller, meaner built, uh, and so on. And and it is still a cottage industry. House building is still a cottage industry in this country with the same firms the same companies that were around 40 years ago, there aren't the same firms or companies around in, in I don't think any, any car manufacturer 40 years, 40 years ago is in the same shape uh, as it is now. So that sort of illustrates the point, we need another Jaguar, we really do need a Jaguar Land Rover in the house building industry. Uh, we need innovation, we need uh, investment in big ways and uh, so on and so forth. So that's just, just that as an illustration. That then raises, but on a more positive note, um, you know, I'm working in Cambridgeshire at the moment, and I can, you know, the the, the sense of the life sciences and the material sciences and so on, uh, uh, the scale of it really surprised me, uh, and it's a real shame that, uh, taking Katie's point up about land, that. Uh, um, what's needed is an industrialization of the countryside there. It is happening in a way. You know, I can think of really nice villages in, in Cambridgeshire which have now got sort of a solar panel on one side, uh, a life science uh, complex on the other, uh, and so on, and all the good folk are up in arms about it. Or you take the Wellcome Trust Genome Campus, which is in Cambridgeshire, uh, which really needs to expand, uh, needs to have a 20, 30-year vision, and I know the Wellcome Trust really want to do that, and I think they've got their planning on doing that, which is really good news. But I can see all the responses from the good folk of the parish of Hinkston uh, will <laughs> do their damnedest and will hold considerable clout in constraining um, that industrialisation of the countryside around them.
0: Now, I'm not to come along the panel. So, Francis. There
2: are a few things here. Yes, they are still acting like banks. I was looking at Volkswagen the other day, and embedded in, in the heart of Volkswagen is a bank. Um, it's not unusual. Basically, if you think about it, it's, it's inevitable that, a, car, that a, a vehicle manufacturer will uh, certainly have some involvement in, in lending, simply because they are big capital purchases for households. Um, it makes and, and it makes a fair amount of sense actually for a big car manufacturer to control that, and so they inevitably become banks. I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing, and, and I want to come back also on something that Barker said. Um, uh, that's been a theme that's been running through this panel, which is the idea that um, because we had a big crash in two thousand and eight, that just shows that we can't rely on the services sector. Well, I'm sorry, but financial services are not the sum total of the service sector in the UK. Far from it. So there is a case for saying we need to diversify. There may be a case for saying we need to diversify services, you know, to maybe move things away from financial services a bit. But to say that there's some that the only choice is um, between financial, uh, to suggest somehow that the only choice is between um, financial services and, and advanced manufacturing is, I think, to sort of narrow the, the field somewhat. Um, it, Britain is a hugely diverse economy, and the, the best way of protecting against crashes is actually to have a very well-diversified mm. economy, of which um, advanced manufacturing needs to form part. Um, it shouldn't be the whole part by any means, and nor should financial
5: services.
0: Okay, back.
5: I want to comment on on the house building part for a bit. I don't know anything about this apart from the fact that I've been covering house prices over and over and over again, and every time it's the same story. I don't know if this is true, but what it seems now is that house builders can afford to not really develop as much because there is such a huge demand. It's not driven by enough supply. That's why. We've seen the house price just soar through the roof, and I, no idea if that's actually a, the the case, but I just want to make that point. Um in terms of um using the the refugee crisis i think um refugees there's a reason that they're uh, fleeing their country so there's a wide range of skills there i've actually been to calais last year as well and i've, I've spoken to to doctors and, and and all kinds of skills maybe that's not manufacturing but um i think we we could um i think in germany that's one of the reasons why uh they've been given uh, such a huge welcome um but also um, you know, in terms of of looking at oh they're stealing our jobs, a lot of them set up their own companies. I do think it's wrong to exploit them. We don't want um, some sort of our own horrible sweatshops here. Uh, but yeah, there is. I think in terms of skills gap, um, it isn't always a wrong thing to 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 have people from other countries there. What I would say. Oh, and in in terms of um, environment, I want to comment on that as well. Yes, I do think obviously in the news recently we've seen. Um, some parts, especially in the car industry, um, where we can focus on, and I think that is uh, looking in the future. It's just very important. We're all we're all talking like what's going on with our economy in the future, but isn't you know sustainable investment making making these things environmentally a lot more friendly? The, maybe the most important part of investment for the future. So I very much agree with you there.
4: I really think that we could help to sort of, uh, demystify what's going on in the economy if if we could. and I'm not. I'm being ambitious perhaps here, put to bed this manufacturing versus services (laughs) distinction. And I think it would be much better to reintroduce an older distinction, which is is between productive activity and non-productive activity. Um, uh, I mean, the categories manufacturing and services are just artificial categories. I think, you know, Mike could give many examples of how much service activity, i.e. not actually... Putting things together by a robot or a man uh, goes on within the manufacturing sector and it's always been the case you know if you worked for you know Fords or uh, 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 jaguar you know 20 years ago 30 years ago you'd have all been manufacturing but there'd been a lot of people not doing manufacturing but engaged in service activities from cleaning the floors to design to all sorts of things would be in that so it's an artificial distinction what's important is is the work that it's being invested in productive of value is it creating more? either for people to live on or for being able to invest in the future. And that's the distinction, I think, which is valid. And there's not enough investment going on in productive activity at the moment, whether it's services. I mean, I work in the telecommunications industry. That's a service industry. It's, you know, it's quite a high-tech service industry. You know, It doesn't quite match JLR, I'm sure. But you, know, you do have high-tech service industries as well. The point is, is there investment going on across the board in productive activity? In that sense on to another or follow on that another question this productivity thing I mean I'm one of those sort of simplistic people who thinks that when it comes to the economy productivity isn't everything but it pretty much is everything as you know the old Paul Krugman (laughs) the only thing I ever agree with with Paul Krugman it pretty much is everything because if you don't have productivity growing if you do have as you alluded to flatlining productivity in Britain over the last eight years if you do have the productivity gap uh, between Britain and other countries widening that's an indication of an economy that's not going to be able to produce enough value to be able to afford uh, uh, rising living standards hence we've had you know flat and declining you know household income uh, it's not going to be able to more importantly perhaps in some ways looking to the future afford to invest in in, in the future and in a sense productivity is both the The consequence of investment and also provides the means for investment, so it's extremely important. And and so it brings me back to that earlier point, which is that the crucial thing is, is that capital spending, is that investment going on. And I would just like to sort of modify or add one point to what was said over here, which is that you talked about Japan, and it still seems very innovative, but not a lot of investment going on. A lot of companies just sitting on their cash reserves and stuff. I think this indicates that the, the investment process is not a sort of a, an on-off thing, that you can switch on investment, and somehow everything will, will improve. And the problem we have today in Britain, and in most of the other mature economies, uh, you know, America, Germany, uh, others, and Japan, of course, is that investment has slowed down 30 years ago, or so on. And we're living, in a sense, off the past, because all those good investments that took place in the 50s and the 60s and the, uh, uh, in, in, into the early 70s, in some ways we're still living off some of that, doing incremental things on that. The problem we have is that we've not been doing the investment over the last 20, 30, 40 years in the science, in the research, in the uh, development of new th- ways of doing things, in the development of new new uh, useful pr- products, which will create the means for the investments into the future. Uh, that's what's not been going on, and that is a very, very big a uh, 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 modification to make to uh, uh, the last 30, 40 years of, of, sort of Western economic history, really.
3: I'd like to take up the productivity versus competitiveness idea, firstly, because I think actually right. those two are, are very much, for me, actually the same thing, in that having good productivity is how you become competitive, because that's when you're getting the most value from, from what you've got, right? The problem, and I I can see where you're coming from in terms of we put competitiveness first, and I think if you look at the reforms over the last month, for example, to corporation tax, you know, making an environment that was attractive to international businesses clearly being put first in lots of cases. Um, When I pay more tax than Facebook does in the UK, we probably have a problem, because think tanks don't pay, guys. Um, So, you know, we now need, I think, really to push productivity reforms, and that's going to mean looking, I think, particularly at skills in the UK, but also to pick up... The investment point. Um, You're absolutely right. Investment in technology and, you know, in firms across the board really is is the place where the UK is is not failing, but not doing brilliantly. And cash pals are a big problem. Part of the problem we really have here is that UK firms and actually firms all across Europe are so reliant on bank lending as their form of capital. Now, when you're reliant on bank lending as a form of capital, that means you're not going to be able to get cash when we have a financial crisis and liquidity dries up in the banks, so you're going to need some reserves to draw on instead. And that's what crushes your liquidity during crashes. Now, if we move to a system more like the States, where we had better equity markets, and actually I have to say at this point that Capital Markets Union across the EU is going to be absolutely crucial in this. We just need to be part of a bigger market to make bonds and other instruments work for smaller firms. Um, is going to be crucial in helping us invest more. Um, Finally, and very briefly, on the immigration crisis, actually, refugees coming in is one thing. I'd say we have another sort of immigration crisis, which is a lack of skilled immigration. You know, Mike told us earlier that they've had to open a centre in Oregon to, to try and get the, the software skills that they need. We are losing so many skilled people in the UK who are coming to our fantastic world-class universities, and we will not give them visas to stay afterwards. I think it's criminal and we really need to make sure that we are open to the skills and talents of everyone who wants to work in the UK.
1: Thanks. Um, just three brief points. Uh, one is, um, uh, and coming back to the productivity issue, I think um, it's a very, very uh, perceptive question. Um, and we haven't really talked about it, but infrastructure uh, approach is a really critical element of productivity. Um, to kind of bring it back to basics. Um, yeah, we've got uh, four production plants in the UK. Um, they all rely on world-class lean manufacturing systems, which requires logistics to be really efficient. And a simple thing like the M6 being clogged up for four hours is disruptive to, to our efficiency. Sorry, Phil, but, you know, phone connectivity, 3G connectivity, all of these things, broadband connectivity, particularly for SMEs who, if the if you're not in... Uh, the right location, you suffer a huge competitive disadvantage because you're not linked to broadband. So I think, um, and I know the government have uh, appointed um, Andrew Adonis to lead on infrastructure and work has been done previously but by John Armit. Uh, I think that, you know, that is really going to be an interesting <coughs> insight into what we can do to transform our infrastructure effectiveness. Uh, and that will help productivity. Um, the second thing about uh, just linking um, technology and capital and environmental um, uh, products, at the end of the day, uh, and again, apologies talking about the automotive sector, but we're in the consumer game. Um, people buy or finance cars um, out of their own uh, activities, and if if they're not prepared to pay a certain price for a product, they won't uh, they won't buy it. Um, as I said, we're putting in a huge amount of effort into future investment in, in new technologies. Powertrains isn't the only answer to environmental sustainability. Uh, one of the reasons we're focusing on aluminium, actually, is you can recycle a huge amount of aluminium at the end of that life's car and use it again. And we're up to about 50% recyclability already. So it's not just about powertrain. And there's a the big debate about uh, electric um, propulsion systems, um, which may or may not be the answer, depending on how you classify the importance of of batteries and weight in the overall efficiency of of the car. Uh, And it's great, actually, that the Advanced Propulsion Centre, industry-wide, not just our company, is based in the Midlands to try and resolve uh, some of those challenges coming up in the future. But at the end of the day, it's going to be about technology investment, and making sure that we can make the right level of investment on a technology that the consumer at the end of the day is prepared to pay for. Uh, And that's, I I wouldn't deny, is challenging. Um, On the first question over capacity and financing, just for the record, uh, we don't have our own bank. um, And to make the point again... If there's any doubt that uh, we don't want this debate between manufacturing and, and, and services, we rely on partner banks to b- provide financing f- to our customers. So we have a very strong partnership with a number of banks around the world, uh, and and uh, long may that continue. So we, 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 we don't rely in that sense on banks. Overcapacity is a really interesting one. It varies very much by sector. Uh, and in the sector we compete in, um, and what we try and do is make sure that our products are desirable, which links back again into innovation, into design, into engineering leadership. And if you can create demand pull for your products, it means that you're not, cha- you're not working on that overcapacity issue. And as a, f- a matter of fact, at the moment, all of our plants are on two shifts, and, and some are on three shifts. Um, and that in itself, coming back to the productivity issue, has its own challenges, because people say, well, three shifts is great it means taking on more people but when you say to your supply chain well we want you to work three shifts as well um, that means people are going to be turning up in the plant at four o'clock in the morning so what does that mean for the local infrastructure you know all of these things are pretty substantive questions which have a broader impact than just on uh, just on us as a company
0: okay so it's all going to have to... hold oh, now the hands go up.
7: <laughs> right. Uh, not waving, but drowning. Uh, I just wanted to say, uh, my name's James, I would like a Jaguar, but I think the most disturbing thing that what you said, Mike, in the right stuff, uh, was you saying that you wanted more government stability and things not changing from regime to regime. Does that mean that you think Tony Blair is sexy? Because it was Tony Blair who said stability is sexy. You want more stability, more homogeneity in government policy, more continuity in government policy. How is that going to help innovation? Are you going to come out in favour of building more t- than 10 miles of main road per year in this country so that you don't have a jam on the M6?
4: I think one, my right group of people who have been left out of workers from this debate. I grew up not far from the Jaguar Land Rover factory in Liverpool. I know about 10 people who work there, only one of them. As like a full-time permanent contract. The, the rest are on like rolling agency contracts. My cousin's been on one for about four or five years now. So what does the new, this new advanced industrial economy look like for workers in terms of stability and workers' rights?
8: I think the way to transform the economy, if that's the objective, is actually to improve the productivity of the SMEs. Uh, they make up 99% of all businesses. And the way to do that is improve the quality of the management um, and to make available finance and um, just very briefly I mean I this is from experience I have managed to transform a 25 year old business uh, quadruple its turnover in three years by basically just applying the basics of strategic management I think we could do that on a large scale and that would be the quickest way to transform the economy
9: In an economy where capital goods seem to be stealing more and more jobs, I feel that the the panel have failed to answer the question regarding education. We've touched on it many times now, when you're outsourcing jobs to um, Oregon, was it, for R&D. Surely shouldn't we be... And also, you mentioned visas, how we're not giving um, foreign students visas. Surely shouldn't we be supplying a better quality of student to our own universities then we don't need to go through the visa application service i feel that our investment at the moment seems to be into things like capital and consumer goods rather than into our own education service which if we improve will will allow people that are at the moment to lose their jobs to capital goods robots doing production lines surely shouldn't we invest in those people so that they can then create and run and move on with the economy so that we actually are not failing as we are okay Yeah, I mean, the way it follows on from that, because I just think we should separate out these different questions of the economy on the one hand, immigration on the other, and education on the others. I think the economic growth, and particularly high productivity, advanced manufacturing, other advanced uh, economic elements at its core, is important because if we're more prosperous as a society, it allows us as a society and it allows individuals to do the things they want. If we do want to build schools, build hospitals, just have fun, go out, whatever. That's why the economic growth is so important, because it allows us to have better lives. We shouldn't muddle it together with the immigration question, which I think is about freedom. It's about freedom of movement. We shouldn't combine that with an economic discussion. And education as well. Education, having people who have a broad, general, good education, is good in itself. It doesn't need to be justified in relation to the economy. I think there's a discussion of vocational training, which is different from education, but even good vocational training, for example, training engineers, depends on having a good grounding in mathematics, physics, and pure sciences. So let's separate these things out rather than mudding them together.
3: So basically, um, I'm one of these people that is a designer, who's worked across both manufacturing and digital, and in this whole Uh conversation, there hasn't been much emphasis on what the digital economy has actually been doing in terms of growth, I think creative industries and design in particular, one of the few areas within the recession actually continue to grow, i.e. there's a big demand for us, and actually we're very rarely mentioned or considered in any of this. Ultimately, all of this comes down to value, what people value. If the nature of value changes, then all of the mechanisms that you use to trade against it change too. And at the moment, the UK chucks out so much knowledge, but there is no mechanism to value it, that actually if we came up with that, we would be the global lead economy.
0: Okay, right. actually, I'm going to take these two people at the front here, and that's it, I'm afraid, I'm really sorry, so...
4: Uh, Just very quickly, then, politics, the state, what are the instruments by which the economy can be transformed to be high-productive? For example, what is is it about Europe, which is lagging behind on almost every measure, um, that shows that perhaps there's a political um, problem there um, I'm thinking of the Eurozone, I'm thinking of the ECB, the Leviathan um, that um, enforces measures that are perhaps anti-economic, so uh, recessionary fiscal measures um, at certain times. So I'd just like to ask a question, is what politically um, needs to be done? Because obviously things cannot really go on the way they are at the moment.
1: I'm really interested that no one's actually mentioned what is one of our most successful areas of manufacturing, and that's weapons. So uh, we are one of the world leaders in weapons manufacturer, and I think BAE Systems are the second biggest company in the world for uh, that. So I suppose the question, to be brief, is should the new economy be an ethical economy?
0: Okay, and on that uh Intriguing question. Right, panel, I'm afraid I have to uh, keep you strictly to 60 seconds each.
2: I talked about education, I'm going to carry on talking about education, because actually that's the foundation of all of this, really, um, is, uh, although I agree with you about the need for absolutely a broad education, um, I think your point in the middle there about um, investment in in children in, in schools is crucial for this, that... Um, actually trying to improve the quality of of the education that we give to children, not in terms of of pointing them in particular directions, but actually in terms of trying to help them to to discern and work on their particular skills is absolutely crucial. It's the foundation of everything. It's the foundation of productivity. It's the foundation of manufacturing. It's the foundation of services. Um, I think that trying to turn it into a competitive marketplace where um, some... um, subjects lose out in relation to other subjects is immensely unhelpful Um, and I don't think that the demands of industry should be driving what goes on in primary and secondary education at
0: all. Okay, thank you, Francis.
5: May I want to pick up the point about education as well, just because I moved here in 2012 from the Netherlands to pick up my to do bachelor degree here, and I, so I was the first generation to pay that full smack nine grand a year, and I think that is one of the key things as well to think about. Like we're kind of shooting ourselves in the foot there, saying, oh yeah, we want this low cost. Um, high educated economy but let's make them pay nine grand a year to get it. Um, For me that was was okay, that was doable. I have a lot of friends for whom that was a lot harder and I don't think that's fair. Um, And in that terms I'm also a prime example because I decided to do journalism where everyone told me as well there's no jobs, why are you doing this? And I do now have a job in journalism in the UK. I am sorry, I did take someone's job maybe, because I am from the Netherlands. In terms of contracts, I want to pick up on that as well and tie that maybe with the ethical economy, not just in terms of weapons, because I do think that is something we very much have to look at. Where does that go? That's definitely not always okay. Um, contracts I think that's like the zero hour contracts and stuff really harsh as part of keeping the cost low definitely don't agree with it and I think it's a a short-term investment to to say oh let's save on that because you know manpower is useful and in general I think with an ethical economy let's not let's think further than these five years let's think you know um, with with all sorts of ethics invest in that but it will get high returns and I think that's the only things I can answer sorry okay
0: thank you Phil
4: I would put the emphasis, speaking as a sort of scare-marks economist, but I put the emphasis that the challenge that we have is much more a political one than a, a, an economic one. I think what we need to do is fairly straightforward, and you could synthesize that from a number of things that have been said, more investment in uh, capital investment, a lot of it in technology, more investment in science and research, more investment in, in infrastructure, so you know, Mike doesn't have congestion outside his, his, his offices and so on, uh, his factories. All that's, the, the what is relatively straightforward to describe. It's the high we can create uh, that change, and that's what I think is a political issue. It's, it's not something which can happen from, uh, uh, from simply um, you know, businesses here and there, investing a little bit here and there. It has to be a transformation at a, at a national level. I think the biggest problem we have, and this is turns on its head the usual discussion about politics, because the usual discussion about politics is that Businesses don't invest because there's too much instability, there's too much adversarialism, there's too much conflict, there's too much change going on in politics. The problem with politics is the opposite. There's no politics to, to, in a traditional sense going on at the moment. There's no engagement with people. There's no uh, uh, challenge of ideas going on. Uh, in fact, you know, in fact you know, never more so has it been the case that there's so, so much agreement. You know, Osborne quite happily picks up, you know, oh, industrial policy, I'll take one of those on board. Oh, productivity plan, I'll pick up one of those on board. Oh, this and that and so on. Uh, and national, and that national Infrastructure Commission, oh, I'll take that from Labour Party, no problem with that. The problem is, all this to me represents buck-passing, that politicians do not want to take responsibility for actually making change in society. So, I mean, to take the, and I'm not being cynical, the, it's, it's there in history. The National Infrastructure Commission, just like the Airports Commission before, this is passing responsibility in a way which can justify uh, procrastination and delay in making decisions. What would be much more effective for the infrastructure is if Osborne were say, I'm going to actually reverse all the cuts I've made in infrastructure over the last 10 years because we're spending less on infrastructure than we were uh, uh, before, the, before the financial crisis and actually put some money into it. No, we'll set up an independent body, pass the buck to this body, away from politics, uh, and hide behind technoc- technocracy. That is the problem we have today. We have to reassert the need for real politics, which means engaging people in real debate about the issues as to how we can make those really transformative changes which are needed. It's not incremental, it's transformative, and that needs all of us to be involved.
0: Uh, Katie.
3: I'd pick up exactly where phil left off but say that that means we have to be optimistic our politicians aren't going to do things if they think that when they sign off that new railway line you guys aren't going to vote for them because you didn't want that change so actually what this needs to be is an optimistic conversation across the uk where we embrace progress and i'm I'm not yet convinced that there were but I, i look forward to getting to it um to pick up on young people quickly Absolutely, education across the board is critical here. But we need capital too, because I need you guys to have, you know, the computers, the software, all the stuff you need to be doing this great designing that's going to drive Mike's advanced manufacturing. Um, and on full-time roles and the types of jobs we're getting, we are moving to a different sort of economy when we move to personalisation, to, to new forms of manufacturing, and indeed service provision. Think about sort of Uber models, things like that. We're going to have to rethink our welfare state, guys. Again, we're going to have to be optimistic and progressive here, because... You know, national insurance first came in in 1906 to help deal with seasonal work in things like shipyards. We're looking at things like that again, and we're going to have to think about the model that's going to work for for a modern economy.
0: Okay, thank you very much. And finally, Mike, you get the last word. Um, Thanks very much.
1: Just to the very first question, I I wasn't arguing um, for stability in the the Tony Blair sense, Um, but... And I did say in my report we should review it every uh, few years in terms of what the, um, if, if you want to call it the industri- industrial approach, the advanced manufacturing approach should be. My point is this, our competitor countries, uh, regardless of who's in, in which political parties in power, tend to have a fairly consistent approach to this sector over many, many years. Germany is a very obvious example. Doesn't matter whether there's a sort of social democratic uh, government in place or a more conservative government in place. It's kind of 80-20. The the rules are understood, and because you're having to make reasonably long-term investments in terms of return on the money that you invest, it takes us four or five years to bring a product to market. You do need that, that consistency, and of course that timeline out, outlasts some governments in terms of how long they're in power. So that, that was my only point. It wasn't for uh, you know, the policy to be developed overall. Um, and the only other um, point I'd like to just pick up from the many questions is, at the end of the day, our business is about people, you know, we, and we've touched on various aspects, whether it's the education, whether it's um, uh, how we develop skills, how we absorb uh, immigrants, and uh, you know, it is absolutely vital that we have mechanisms in place and business has its role to play uh, to make sure that uh, everybody, regardless of what talent they have, that they want to to choose to do in the future, have the capability to fulfil that talent. Our only request is if they want to be an engineer or if they want to be a designer, there's a mechanism that fulfils their talent and that will give us great people to drive the sector forward. Okay, can we thank
0: the panel, please?